Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by ZipRecruiter. What if a QB completed 80% of his passes? Well, that's conceivable. Tom Brady does that all the time. What if a point guard hit 80% behind the arc? Not really conceivable. Steph Curry once a month. Well, now when you're hiring, you can play at that level every single day. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Their powerful technology distributes your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, then identifies the right people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. We are also brought to you by another new Ringer podcast. That's right. It's called The Recapables. It is the brother of The Rewatchables or the sister. It can be whatever you want. It can be the brother or the sister. It can be the sibling. It can be the cousin. Here's uh, here's what we're doing. We're going to start with Atlanta. Atlanta premieres next week on FX. Right after Atlanta ends, we're putting the recapables up. And we're doing that every episode through the whole season of Atlanta. And then we're going to um, add a couple other shows over the next, mo- next couple months, including Billions. Oh, yeah, that's happening. And Westworld. Yeah, that's happening, too. So Atlanta... It starts this week, The Recapables. You can subscribe right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Art19, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. This is good. They're, they'll be short, too. They're going to be like 18 to 20 minutes, little micropods, what happened, why it happened, kind of in the spirit of The Rewatchables. Amanda Dobbins and Micah Peters are going to be hosting the Atlanta podcast with a special rotating third guest. And then for billions, oh, yeah, it's going to happen. Me and Mallory Rubin, we've been circling each other for years as as podcast hosts, co-hosts. It's going to happen. Billions, Sunday nights, right after the show ends, we're going right up. And then Westworld a month later. I won't spoil that one for you. We'll announce the host later. But the Recapables launches today. Subscribe right now. And speaking of ringer plugs... It is Jordan LeBron week on The Ringer, and we have posted a ton of uh, excellent columns, features, posts, whatever, about uh, about that battle. I still have Jordan as the GOAT. LeBron can get him with math. I wrote about it today on TheRinger.com. I wrote about 1998 Michael Jordan versus 2018 LeBron James. And the choices that they had heading into those seasons, 20 years apart. I spent a lot of time on that one. It's a long, it's a long piece, but I think it's worth it. And uh, I really enjoyed writing it. Guess what? It's fun to write. Um, check that out on theringer.com. Check out all of our Jordan LeBron week stuff on theringer.com. Coming up, we're going to talk about Jordan and LeBron. And we're going to talk about the Winter Olympics and some other stuff with our old friends. House and Jacko. Oh my God! It's a, it's an old school episode of Friday Rolling. Here we go.
It's an old school episode of Friday Rolling. Joe House on the line, the host of Check House, the host of House of Corbs. Oh, I did that wrong. House of Corbs. House of Corbs. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, channel your Vince McMahon, brother. Um, I since since uh, the last time we've talked on this podcast, David Chang opened a restaurant here, and I've been to it five times. It's called Major Domo. I keep taunting you with pictures of the food. It's really one of the most fun things that's happened to me in a long, long time. I just love uh, love torturing you. There's a great restaurant here. You can't eat at it. You can go to hell. I think I've gained 10 pounds. I don't care. I'm going to keep eating Major Domo, and you can go suck it. You you know that this is setting itself up for. We're, we're, we're going down in, in a Domo war. We're going to have a, a I'm Domo coming war. out to L.A. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have a Domo war. I'm going to come out. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to, uh, you know... Find somewhere on the way deep down low in Beverly Hills or where, wherever. Get a nice hotel, and I'm gonna have I'm gonna volunteer to work for a whole week at Major Domo. I'm oh. gonna be there morning, afternoon, and night. I'm Just gonna eat? eat every meal there. Be paid I'm in have food. Thirty meals at Major Domo in a week. That I I can't wait to see that. That'll be exciting. Yeah, um, Chang's blowing up. His Netflix show launches today. Tonight on the Netflix, as you would call it. It's called yeah. it's called Ugly Delicious. I have seen one episode and uh and it was about pizza and the concept that Americans have that Italians created pizza and mastered pizza when actually like a lot of different types of people make pizza and he basically travels around the world and eats pizza and house. I have no idea why he didn't invite you. Big mistake well, by uh, Chang. Is that almost offensive? My feelings are not hurt in any way, shape, or form. I just take we, we get uh, whatever little bit of David Chang we get is is enough. We're very happy with whatever he's able to give us. Well, we used to feel that way about Michael Jordan once upon a time. And then he left us. I still feel that way. Yeah, he left us. And then, uh, and then he left us a second time. And it hurt both times. Both times he left as the best player in the league. He's the, I wrote, I did a column today about this, and I wrote that he was he holds the record for most times the goat has left the NBA as the finals MVP and just retired. It happened twice. Still amazing. Um, the 98 one was interesting. I did a lot of research on it for the column today. And what I found out and what I, what I truly believe is that the biggest reason he left was he didn't have anywhere to go, which is impossible to believe, but it's actually true because they spent, Basically, a two-year run there trying to push him out and trade Scottie Pippen and then let Scottie Pippen go, not extend him, not pay him, push Phil Jackson out. They haggled over his salary for the last year to the point that he almost didn't come back. They tried to they tried to basically hire his successor as the season was going along and then did Tim Floyd. And, you know, 20 years later, reading the books again, I was just shocked that they didn't try to protect that dynasty and try to extend it as long as possible. Did you even remember this stuff, House? Because I didn't until I reread the books. So so I did not either. And I have to tell you, I had a couple reactions reading your story. For, first of all, um, we've been friends for a long time, coming up on 30 years now. I know that I, I uh, appropriately am criticized for being overly solicitous with you, a little too deferential at times, but God damn it, that was a great story, my dude. Such Thank a, you. Such an unbelievable tale. But the other thing is, 
uh, it's a shame that you don't run your own uh, multimedia, you know, digital and 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 uh, content company because <laughs> this would be one hell of a goddamn you know program to watch. I could watch this for ninety minutes, two hours, two and a half hours. I mean, you know, there there are so many. Uh, tentacles and tendrils to this story. I want to watch, you know, a 10-minute uh, takedown of Krauss, at least 10 minutes. Well, I think you're going to get your wish because my friend Jason Hare, who is who, who directed the Andre the Giant documentary and who's very talented, and it's the third time I've worked with him, and the Andre thing is, in my opinion, the best thing he's done. It's really good. His next project is to do the definitive 10-hour MJ Um the, the, what we've been waiting for for 20 years, and they're doing it with yeah. ESPN. Well, and, it's time. It's officially time now. Yeah, and I got to say, I, th- I think if Jordan made a mistake these last 10 years, and it's really not even a mistake, but just like from a protect the legacy, protect the goatness standpoint, it was not doing a documentary because I think – you know, I noticed it with the ringer staff and we had all these people, we have a lot of young people and a lot of the people that were writing about Jordan and LeBron this week didn't a hundred percent remember watching Jordan because you really, unless, unless you're like 28 or older, you probably have no recollection of it. And even if you're, let's say you're 28, I think Kevin O'Connor's 27. So he was seven during the 98 finals. So, you know, you kind of remember the tail end, but not really. And I, I think the the biggest mistake he's made in a really weird, um, it's narcissistic, but it's, it's you know, you got to protect the corner. I wish he had well, done this me, sooner. I, I wish he had it, just been like, here, here's how great I was. I'm going to do all the interviews. Here's the footage. Don't ever doubt me. I was the best. And he didn't. I, I don't think that's, that, that criticism is fair um, for two reasons. Okay. In the first place, in the first place, uh, there was no reason to protect the goatness. Who is he protecting the goatness from over the last uh, 20 years? It's only been this this increment of, of LeBron with the sustained appearances in the finals. Yeah. And he's only got, you know, uh, uh, he's three and five in, in, in these, or is he uh, three and four? Whichever it is. Um, three and five. You know, he... he he he's not yet really anywhere near MJ in in terms of uh, the incandescent and incomparable, uh, you know, taking over. We've only seen him take over a handful of times. It was never that MJ dominance. Right. So, so I, he the, was. The, it, it, we. Go ahead. You know, we we were obviously there. Um, we were there. I'm a Celtic fan. You're a Wizards fan. He kicked our team's asses a lot of times. There was, there was zero doubt even after the '97 Finals, which is what I thought made the '98 Finals so special. Is that, you know, the, for me, it's like the in the last fifty years, it was Tiger, Ali, and Jordan. Those are the three guys that you kind of expected them to do something great, and everyone was rooting for them. And the '98 Finals was that game six. When it was like, all right, MJ, pull the pull another fucking great moment out of your ass, and then he like trumped all the great moments he'd ever had, and we kind of were waiting for it to happen, and then it happened. Like, as I wrote in the piece, that's that's the final level. That's that's it. When you're an athlete, when yeah. you're doing that, that's it. You've 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 unlocked all the levels, and you're not gonna like this, but yeah. this is what I this is what I expected out of Tom Brady five weeks ago. 
What, what else did he do through 505 uh, yards? What else do you want from him? He had the ball with two minutes left and the chance to, to take his team down. His left guard missed a block. He had two wide-open receivers. Just, you, those, are, those are just, you know, uh, facts on the ground. We're talking about goatness. We're talking about what we yeah. want out of our, 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 our greatest. Anyway, the, the, the other observation in terms of why I think this documentary that you're describing is, is best left for now, and you made the point, is because you need this kind of juncture in time where there's been a full generation of human beings who never got to experience MJ, appreciate MJ. You need co- historical context. Yeah. So it's, you know, there's a whole, you, you don't want to have the documentary come out, you know, five or six or seven years after you know, you're done with your career, because then it becomes a, a Kobe blowjob tour. Like, we, we just went through that. It was terrible. I mean, I didn't enjoy it, and we're going to keep getting these dribs and drabs of, of Kobe's greatness, and, and it's fine. I watched Kobe. Kobe was great. Um, he was a, he'll go down as an all-time terrific scorer, not even in the top ten of all-time basketball performers, to me. Not, not in my top ten, okay? Yeah. Uh, but MJ... I think this this um, kind of moment that we're entering, this phase we're entering with, with LeBron, where LeBron, it seems, I'm knocking on wood, you can hear how loud I'm knocking on wood, because of the health and the science and a lot of the things that you observe in, in the column today, has a, what looks like to be another five or six years to kind of write his story. And now that's when MJ should be entering in and like, hey, don't anybody forget about MJ. Old MJ is right here, y'all. Right. Still at the top of every list. Yeah. You know, watching, so taping this Friday morning, last night the Cavs played your beloved Wizards. And the Wizards were finishing them off. They're up 10 with like four minutes left. And then LeBron just decided to score every possession. And, uh, he did. And was just destroying everybody and doing that bully ball, drive to the basket, bounce <laughs> off people. And, you know, I, look, those trades, everybody, they won two games. Everybody went crazy and thought they fixed the team. They did not. What they did fix was LeBron's trying again. And those trades reignited kind of whatever. And now it's like he's they're the favorite in the East just because of how good he still is. And it's year 15. And uh, I don't think he's the same two-way player anymore. But I still think he's the best offensive player in the league. And he has the highest ceiling of any offensive player in the league. I think Durant's a better two-way player, and I, I actually think Paul George is a better two-way player at this point. I don't I, think... That, that, I won't. I can't stand for that slander, first no, of all. No, I'm just saying... My point is, I just don't think LeBron on the defensive end was never a dominant defender. Like, he was never a defensive player of the year, or even... I don't even think okay, he was as okay, good as Kobe okay. defensively. And he's Fine. slipped on that end now. And he's really more I mean, his, of an offensive player. His iconic player. play in his whole career is the block, but okay. It's great. That, listen, that was awesome. And that was the one thing he was really great at and still is great at is the chase down block. But I don't think he's a lockdown defender by any and means. And this, this thing of – I reject this narrative of Durant of, of all of a sudden, oh, you know, he if he wins the defensive player of the he year – He shouldn't. Paul I'm, George. I'm going to claim another perversity. No, that, that's – Paul George should win defensive player of the year. He's He went up a level two months ago. And, uh, you know, it's like, I, let's remind me to talk about the all-star game with you, uh, near the end of this, the Jordan okay. thing though. So when we started doing 30 for 30, which was Oh seven and Connor and I spent two years doing that basically. And then around Oh nine, as we knew 
maybe the end of 09, close to 2010, we knew that the series was heading toward an end and it was clear they didn't want to bring back the second volume. The people that were in charge of it um, wanted to move on and get away from that brand. Um, then they got, then they left and we brought the brand back. But we had this DVD in 1998, the NBA followed around the Bulls for the entire year, NBA Entertainment. And they followed him behind the, the Bulls behind the scenes and got a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And they captured the real MJ. They captured the guy who yelled at people in practice, who berated people, who did all the stuff that we'd always heard Where about. Where is it? I haven't seen this. So we had, I know, I, I think, I think I'm one of like 12 people who have seen it. And they just had it. And they really wanted this to be like their biggest masterpiece that they've done. The problem is MJ controls the rights. And Uh he came off as MJ in the piece. And I think at that point, he's Jordan Brand. He's this certain guy. And they didn't want him screaming. His Him and his team didn't want him screaming at Scotty Burrell. So we tried to make it anyway. And we talked to everyone in his team, including Este, who's basically his gatekeeper, who's uh, who I really like. And they just weren't ready. And we even had, we we had a couple, I won't name the directors, but we brought in, we had a couple of real directors that we sent the DVDs to. Like, what do you think of this? It's amazing. And, wh- and what was really amazing from this, uh, from this, what the footage they had was how lonely and isolated his life was those last two years. He... He was so famous. He was so staggeringly famous that he couldn't go anywhere. It was like they basically just played and went back to his hotel suite. And he was just there with like two bodyguards playing poker. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything. So that, that it it's really cool. And I know that they have access to that stuff for this documentary and I hope they get to use the footage. But um, I think the, the, the ceiling of an MJ documentary is about as it's OJ is the highest. That was always the best story. We always knew that was sure. the best one. I think MJ is like a level below, but has the most ways to go. And I guess the question will be how how candid will he get with it? You know, remember that Wright Thompson piece where he was pretty he's fairly candid with Wright Thompson, and it was there were some revelations in there. If he does that with the documentary, I think it has a chance to be special because I know Jason's really good. It should work. I I think this is another element as to why waiting makes sense, right? So that he, his, his own sort of uh, um, self-possessedness and confidence and, and ability to be articulate about himself, you know, he's, a, he's at a stage of life where maybe he can wax philosophical a little bit, right? He, he'll yeah. want to, sh- to, be, to be candid because he understands now at, the, at his age and his, his position and his legacy how important it is to memorialize that and capture it um, in a way that, that's uniquely MJ, um, but, but, you know, also has some rough edges to it. I hope he throws himself into it. The, uh, the best parts of that doc, the parts that I would be the most excited about, um, the dream team, the 93 finals, when he really started, um, bristling about the media and it really became a media versus MJ situation. And then he went out and. Remember that game, that Knicks game when he had, he took all the shit cause he played golf and he was really pissed off and he went out. It was like on a Sunday and he just dropped 55 on Riley's Knicks in the playoff game with like all the hand check yeah. rules, 
all the hand check rules. There were no flagrant fouls back then. And he just like eviscerated them. It was MJ was the best, man. I just love that guy. I loved watching that guy. We would, you and I would call after, I would just call you after some of those games. We would just have like, you know, like Chris Farley show podcasts about, oh my God. Uh. But that, that's, you know, that that's a, uh, an important element of his legacy that needs to be preserved, which is that really for an entire nation of sports fans, it wasn't just basketball fans, every single MJ game was must-see TV. Yeah. Like, it was appointment television. I was, you know, dating a, a, a girl whose parents, you know, she was a swimmer, and they weren't, they, were, they weren't, you know, necessarily like deep traditional sports fans, but they... We, I watched a lot of games at their house. Yeah, because they, they we had to watch MJ. Yeah, that was TV. Definitely in a group setting, like a community sense, mattered a little bit more back then. Like that was like from that stretch from ninety four to ninety eight, where like the NBC lineup on Thursday nights. I remember dating a girl where you know she was still living at home, and we would go. I'd go over and hang out with her parents, and we would watch all the Thursday night NBC shows. You remember? It was like yeah, Friends, Seinfeld, ER. We just bang them all out. And you're right. You would the MJ like that era. You would go over and watch a playoff game with whoever. And uh, we had less choices back then. The internet wasn't really going yet. It was going, but not like in the in the. It wasn't the content farm that it is now. And uh, and I think. I think uh, those MJ performances just mattered more. The ratings were huge. Now it's like, you know, the the other thing, which I mentioned a little in my piece, but we didn't see a lot of MJ during that during that stretch. You know, it was like they were on TNT sometimes. They were on NBC sometimes. You saw them in the playoffs. But the regular seasons, like I, we might have seen seven or eight MJ games a season. I remember I was, yeah, dating, was, I was dating a girl in Chicago, I think, yeah, it was his last season. And I remember I was there for like four days and there was two MJ home games and I, and she was like, what do you want to do? I was like, I just want to stay home and watch these random regular season MJ home games. There's no, there's no better alternative than this. I can't believe this is on regular television, but that's just the way it was. Now it's like every LeBron game we can watch. Yeah, that's right. The the it was just on the weekends with the NBC game of the week that you would get uh, you know, your a little taste of MJ or you had to wait for him to come to your hometown so you could watch him on your hometown regional uh cable network. I still have him in my opinion it's not close. And and the younger generation is going to think it's an old guy on the couch thing. I still think there's distance between him and, and the ceiling of what he was able to do every game and everybody else. It wasn't just the playoff we, games. We it, was, with, it was game after game after game. He was at that level, you know? You you captured it in, in the piece. He wanted to win every single game that he stepped on the floor. Like, the funny thing would be trying to look through his career after, say, like 1991, find a game that he took off. Like try and find try and find five games that MJ took off from 1991 until you know he joined my my, my poor Wizards in 2000. Well, I remember I, I, I dare somebody to find five of them. That stat where the last those the second three Pete he played 304 of the 304 games is ludicrous, and he played 12, almost 12,000 minutes. And you know they won 62 games that third year. The league was diluted at that point. The expansion had really hurt the league in '94 and '95, and it definitely, from a talent standpoint, was not the same. But 
he went 62 and 20 that year and didn't have Scotty for the first three months. Rodman was like unraveling. And then it was just like Ku coach and Steve Kerr and Luke Longley. It was not an all-star team. And, and he just would just wouldn't let them lose. And what's interesting was the highest point total he had that year was 49, but he still averaged like 30 a game. It was like just every game he would have 30, you know, and he would just get whatever he's done. And it was like, he didn't have the same athleticism anymore, but it was all like the footwork, that turnaround that he developed that was unstoppable and just always knew when to get fouled in the right spots. Um, I will say, I think I I think LeBron in a lot of ways is at the peak of his powers offensively when he wants to be. Like he he definitely has more his his uh what does Lombardi say the Fred Palermo menu? His Fred Palermo menu of decisions offensively is the most extensive I think it's ever been. He really can post up now. He uh he his three-point range is good. He really doesn't have any holes offensively. Do you see any at this point? No, I, I agree with this. Uh, what I like and what I was reminded of last night is when he gets into the mode where he recognizes that that um, the best opportunity for his team to win is for him to take over for a stretch. Is he starts playing with pace and he starts, you know, getting the ball at half court and going to the hole and daring people to, you know, either get in his way or try and try and stop him. He is literally unstoppable. He 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 took Jan Mahinmi and tried to put him in a coffin last night on, on three consecutive <laughs> oh possessions. Web was going nuts. Well, I mean Mahinmi shouldn't have been in there. It's like yeah. uh, you know, the hello coach Brooks. Can I he should have a he should have a phone on him with a buzzer that's where he gets electric shocks uh <laughs> you know when Mahinmi's been in too long. Right. Like, you, co- hello coach. Yeah. Um, but in any event, that that pick up ahead of steam and go to the hole, you know that that sort of uh, <laughs> you know that mindset that that that's the only piece that that you know it's never been missing. But that's like look, look uh, you know him exerting his will is, is expressed in that uh, dynamic. I say, I I really respect how much he's worked on his game. And if you remember, like the end of last decade, 2011 finals when. Dallas was putting JJ Beret on him because they knew he wouldn't post up. Like he's clearly, he, which is crazy, but he's clearly gotten better. And this is a guy who, you know, was putting up thirty-two, eight and eight, or whatever he had that that oh nine or two thousand ten season. Like his stats were crazy, and he's you actually know, figured out how to get better. The curious thing, and our boy Tom Haberstroh was on this. He's more comfortable at the free throw line, mm. and that's a humongous right. difference. That that was hurting him last year. You know, all right, this is not a criticism of LeBron because this is not his fault, but I do think the way the league is now makes it easier for him than it would have been if he was playing in 1998. Because if you watch some of those MJ games from the mid-90s, first of all, the, the spacing's terrible. The spacing's worse in the 80s, but it's still not great in the 90s, which is why I think the triangle was effective back then. But uh, the 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 paint is so clogged, you know, like you watch that Utah team. They, sometimes they would have Antoine Carr, Cora Malone and Greg Ostertag out there. Like they, it was just like, there's six guys in the paint at all times. I think it would have been 
just harder for LeBron to get to the rim with all those big bodies. I, on the flip side, he would have just been, you know, twenty feet from the basket shooting three, shooting uh, open jumpers. But um, yeah, I, I I don't think we can easily make that. It's um, hard it's, era comparison because I I'm pretty sure he would have figured out a way to adapt. I mean, he he's got the body of Carl Malone and the shooting touch of you know uh, an, an all time great shooter. Right, he's say. like he's like a Ray much Allen, a much much better Carl Malone. But yeah, it's yeah. just those games are so different. They're eye opening to watch because the pace is so slow, and and they're so physical. They're so physical. There's no threes. It really looks like a different sport. And I think that was one of the reasons MJ was able to really survive and thrive that last season because the pace was so slow. You really only get needed to get to ninety points. And you could slow it down and really kind of pick your spots. And game six ninety eight, he's he he. It's a master class on just how to control a game when you shouldn't win. Pippen's like his back's broken in that game. Rodman's out to lunch. Kukoc is really the only guy he had that that who was mm-hmm. above average. They're in Utah, and he just yanks it out anyway. Let's take a quick yeah. break. Hey, I'm not always great at getting at the airport early enough to avoid that. I might miss my flight anxiety. In fact, I kind of feed off that anxiety. That's why I'm excited about our newest sponsor, Clear. You've probably seen Clear at a couple of the major airports. It uses biometrics to help you bypass the long lines and get through security in about five minutes. It's like your own personal security line. Create your account online before going to the airport. Finish enrolling when you get there with the help of a Clear ambassador. And use the Clear lanes immediately. Works great with pre-check, too. I use the two in tandem so I can get to the front of the line immediately and still keep my shoes on. Nothing worse than taking your shoes off. Clear is in some of the busiest airports, including L.A., New York, San Francisco, Atlanta, Vegas. Much needed for Vegas and many more. Clear, the absolute best way to get through airport security. Sign up today before you travel. And guess what? For a limited time, listeners of my show can get their first three months of Clear for free. Oh, yeah. Go to clearme.com slash bill. That is clearme.com slash bill for your free three months of clear. I don't know why you wouldn't do this. I went to the All-Star game on Sunday. Yes. And had a couple revelations. What is that? LeBron James is still the best player in the league. (laughs) That was a revelation. Eh, I, I or knew, a reminder. I knew that, but it was nice to see him. I first of all, it was. I know we talked about this Monday on the pod, but I, I hadn't talked about it with you. It was really nice to see the guys give a shit, and I still yeah. think I still think the All Star game matters. And I really like how you know, as a as a pipe dream, as a basketball fan, it's a nice little slice of who matters for a season. You know, and you think how well, that game played out on on Sunday, and it was like all the guys who kind of matter right now were involved in that game in a significant way, and that's why we need the All Star Game. And it was, I don't know, I enjoyed it. It was it, basketball has this advantage over other sports. Like other sports can't really ever get a version of the All Star Game no. that captures the essence of of you know that that moment in time. I mean that that. The, the ten guys on the court in the last five minutes there, there were probably eight Hall of Famers, maybe maybe nine. Yeah, the only guy who wasn't out there was Davis, which was yeah. more of like a roster thing, and he who definitely belonged out there and, and probably just should have been on the other team so they could have evened it out. 
But yeah, it was, it, it was, they basically picked Paul George over Davis for the defense, but Paul George belonged out there. And, you know, I know I mentioned this on Monday, but Embiid belonged out there, man. And, and he oh was, he was a fucking handful. They didn't know what to do with him. And it, he was like the biggest monkey wrench in the game. And like LeBron was covering him at one point, Durant, and like, they didn't know what to do. It was well, you know, it was great. I don't know what to do either because we have a, a Philly bet that's out there. I know. And if the beef keeps playing, we are cooked, Daddy. I know, but remember, I mean, we made. I was telling you guys last night, we we yeah. were betting, and Bead couldn't play fifty five games. We thought it was inconceivable. He's he's at forty five. It I'm seems not gonna like it's going to happen. I, I would like for him to play. I would like for Philly to win. I want Philly to make the playoffs. I was on the record back in October or November saying there's no scenario under which Philly, notwithstanding their start, was going to make the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I would be fine with being wrong because I want to see him and Ben Simmons in the playoffs. Yeah, Ben Simmons, he he hit the uh, rookie wall there for a little bit. And now when the All-Star snub happened... And he should have been there. Like I, when it, it's a choice between Dragic, it's not and, really a snub, though. Yeah, but when you when somebody gets hurt and then you put Dragic in over Ben Simmons, that becomes offensive. Sorry, Heat okay, fans. All right, I'll accept that. Guess what? The All Star games for the fans too, and I just ra- would have rather have seen Ben Simmons in the game. Sure. Like if if we can shoehorn him in, let's get him in there. But yeah, I I think uh, I think there's some really fun playoff possibilities. Especially in the Me East. Too. Like if the Sixers get in as like, let's say they're the seven seed and Boston's the two seed. Yeah. I'm petrified. But that's a, that's a terrible matchup. I don't like that matchup at all. It's a terrible matchup. You're absolutely right about that. But who, I mean, you who know, isn't, if Embiid's going to play, who is that not a terrible matchup for? That's and, and the way the playoff schedule sets up, remember all the rest, you know, he doesn't have to worry about any back-to-backs. There are no back-to-backs in the playoffs. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Uh, Giannis always has the potential. It was interesting watching him at the All-Star game because he, he just didn't have the ball. Yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't make him the point forward. And he had to play off the ball, and it was clear that the, the Greek pickup scene just wasn't really that good back when he was growing up. <laughs> he had no idea where to go. It's like he was like a, he was around to be my son in my fourth grade in his fourth He's grade been basketball. Playing game. basketball for four years. I know. He's like, where do I go? He's just like kind of running around with a chicken with his head cut off. Uh, but you know, yeah, I think yeah, the ceiling slash upside of Giannis is at least a little 2007 LeBronish, right? I'm not going to say hundred sure. percent, but it's, there's a whiff of it. And yeah. then, uh, and then, it's you know, sacrilege to say that. And then your whiz, if, uh, yeah. if, if the, uh, the doughy malcontent John Wall comes back, who knows? <laughs> How dare you? That's an outrage. <laughs> Did you call him the doughy malcontent? I did. I just called him That's a doughy me. malcontent. I'm the doughy malcontent. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I meant I meant you. You're a doughy malcontent. Uh, no, John was... Wall is a rehabilitating super duper star. He's an all star that that tried to power his way through this season. He came back too early. Uh, didn't give himself enough rest. Didn't give himself enough opportunity to get himself in shape. The season started two weeks earlier. He didn't really recover. 
properly, physically or mentally, from the end of, of last season. And, you know, he paid the price. So he's getting that rest now. And the important thing to me is get that rest because the playoffs are coming, and I want the full complement. So I'm going to repeat this to you. I said this uh, sometime in the last month. Uh, I fear no one in the East. There's not a team in the East that my Washington almost bullets cannot beat. Now, they might lose in the first round, but I'm just telling you, there isn't anybody in the East that they can't beat. Um, I'm going to give you one more chance to walk that back. I'm not walking anything back. I'm just, I, I was very quietly proud last night. Now, one, one, the challenge they have is, uh, and, and Andrew Sharp touched on this in a, in a recent column, there, there, there's a leadership vacuum that is tied to me to the fact that there aren't any winners on the basketball team. I went on uh, the uh, Heat Check. What's John Gonzalez's show? Heat Check, Mondays. Heat Check. I yeah. went on it. Yeah. And we were ta- it was before the tra- trade deadline, and I was scouring the league for an available winner to come and, and help this young team. The very best time here in Washington that that Wall and Beal had together was under the tutelage and supervision of none other than Paul Pierce. And after Paul Pierce left, there has been, you know, both of those guys are alpha dog kind of guys, but neither one of them has really won shit. Like the problem with, with my poor Washington team, the most accomplished Winner is, is I, I I don't know who I don't know who who on the team has won anything at any level of their basketball career. You That's, don't just sort of learn winning. That led to John Wall jumping on the scorer's table with a game seven looming. Correct. Yeah. Game six. Yeah. That's what I mean. Correct. You don't do that when you haven't won the series. Um, here's our East Coast matchups right now. Toronto versus Miami. That's a fun series. I would watch Toronto-Miami. I really enjoy Miami. Is Miami like the most fun, random league pass team? I think they are. (laughs) Boston-Philly. It's a great one. Cleveland-Milwaukee. 3-6. Oh, my God. Pretty good. LeBron-Giannis. Holy. I I think Cleveland wins in five, but. I will say this. Giannis gives two fucks about LeBron. Hey, even in the All-Star game, there's a couple moments where they cross paths. And and uh, let me tell you something. Giannis wanted it. LeBron at one point gave him a nice little nice little uh, cheap shot, little sly elbow that the refs didn't catch. Like, they, there is no love lost. I'm telling you right now. And then uh, the 4-5 would be Washington, Indiana. Great. That's the team I want. That's a sweep. Can I gamble on that right now? I want to bet that sweep right this second. Hold on, the executives from NBA TV are on the line. They've they've locked up the whole series. <laughs> That's where it belongs. Eight six three on Comcast. That's NBA TV here in DC. That's that is the eight six three special. The uh, Western Conference right now would be Houston, New Orleans. They they may not even televise that. Golden State, Portland, which would be. I listen. Golden State can't defend point guards. It's gotten worse every year, and now it's to the point where there's more point guards than ever. And all of them just, love playing Golden State, whether it's Lou Williams, it. whether it's Damian Lillard, whether it's Kyrie Irving. Those guys are going off, and they, you know, I, I'm not going to overreact to the Golden State thing, but I will say this. 
I think they made a major mistake this summer with the Iguodala Livingston contracts. I, I don't think they should have done those. I didn't really feel good about them at the time. And now seeing where the salary cap's gone and seeing how flat they are and seeing kind of the holes that they have. I, I just think the I think those contracts were a mistake. And I think the right point guard can really destroy them. Like they really have matchup problems. It's not going to well, matter because they could score 135 points, whatever they want, but it's not going to be the distance that it was last year. Now, now's not the time to judge those contracts, I would say. And it, they made an affirmative decision to, to sustain what they had for, they, they, they bought continuity because come May, when they're, you know, when it's time to turn it on and the, and the title is, is within the sights again, that's, that's the important thing. I think you need those guys with all of those playoff minutes, all that experience, all those winning minutes. That's what's important. I think Iggy has too many miles on him. Could be. But he, you, you only need him in a couple games in the playoffs. He had some 40-minute-a-game seasons in Philly. I think he had like three in a row. Those things catch up. Remember Michael Finley was just done. Remember that Michael Please. Finley was really good. Then all of a sudden he just he just like fell off a cliff. Uh, San Antonio Denver is a se- is a series right now. What's fascinating about that Bad. is San Antonio is thirty five and twenty four, and the eight seed is thirty one and twenty six. I don't think New Orleans is going to make the playoffs. I think the Clippers or Utah will, but they're yeah. only four games. Utah's thirty and twenty eight. They're in the tenth spot, and they're only four games behind San Antonio, and. Uh, and then Minnesota OKC is the four or five, which would be outrageous. But I, I feel like we're not getting that. One of those teams will climb yeah. to three. This Kawhi thing is um, the second weirdest story of the NBA season, narrowly uh, trailing the Markel Fultz, what the fuck is going on saga that has kept going on and on and on for months and months on end. It looks like Kawhi's not coming back. Uh, nobody seems to understand what's going on. He's practicing. He's... Seems like he's fine, but doesn't want to play. And uh, as somebody who's read breaks of the game, I don't know, 500 times? Nah, maybe 40. Uh, there are starting to feel like there's some Bill Walton Portland 40 years later parallels here. What do you think? I have no idea what to think. Um, at the beginning of the season, we got together, we did our annual over-under, and at that point in time, the... Um, the leg injury was still felt like an unknown and there was, it still feels like there's some unknowables about it, you know? Yeah. And, and that was the, uh, you know, a significant enough red flag. I think you and I for sure went under, I don't know if it was a unanimous under for San Antonio, but you just can't mess around with leg injuries that, um, you know, don't have, uh, a, like a easily understood, easily pinpointable, yeah, uh, you know, Genesis and, and, and an easy fix. And I think, you know, if you wanted to be generous, you would say this is the lesson learned um, from uh, the Durant, uh, you know, occurrence with OKC where he tried to come back and it wasn't quite ready. And then he had to have surgery and it kind of ended, ended up extending the entire leg injury that, that KD had by six months. And if you again, if you want to be gracious about it, generous about it, you're saying that that Kawhi is avoiding that. And you know, Derrick Rose took some shit. You know, now now it turned out that that uh, you know his his problem was chronic. But um, yeah, but I mean, it, it was. Injury, but not, there might be chronic to smoke. No, but I'm glad you brought that up because there might be some parallels there. 
sometimes a guy gets hurt and it gets in their head and it, it I don't know what's happening. I don't fully understand it, but I think they're the best guess would be that it's a mental thing and that he doesn't trust his body and the doctors are telling him, trust your body. And he's, he just can't get there. And we've well, if seen there's any organization that that's best suited to, to be forward thinking and to be, you know, to bring to bear unexpected resources to help him get over it. You know, he's in the very best place for that. Right. Well, when my buddy Jalen Rose was on last month and I asked him if Kyrie was, uh, Kawhi was on the Spurs in two years and he said, no. So I think this Why? goes this goes deep. Why not? This is one of those things where Jalen knows stuff. They they had this they had the same college coach and I don't know. He just sometimes Jalen knows stuff. Something Jalen does know stuff sometimes. Something's not right with this situation. It's too weird. And uh and I think if this was the Lakers or this was um, the Knicks or the Celtics or any of the big market teams that were a little more accessible and had more media around them, I think it would be a bigger deal. It's San Antonio. They shut everyone out. It's not a big media market. And this story has just kind of been going and going. Meanwhile, the guy almost won the MVP last year. This is crazy. Yeah. But uh, I don't understand that story. Uh, last thing I was going to throw at you. The play-in stuff, because we've been talking about this forever. I think I first wrote about it in 07. 10 years, 11 years. I've been tweaking it. We talked about the top of Monday's podcast, and now uh, my old Grantland teammate, Zach Lowe, wrote yesterday that the league, and I had heard stuff over the weekend, too, that they, you know the, 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 the rumor, the, the buzz was definitely building. And uh, he had an interesting wrinkle that he said they were talking about which was that it would be what seven versus 10 and eight versus nine. And that's how they right. would decide the playing games. And basically the yep. attitude was if you're in the bottom five in each conference, you don't, you don't, you're out. That shouldn't matter. But so basically it would be four playing games for those two spots. What'd you think of that? I, I kind of love it. I mean, the guys that are in the 10th spot right now in both conferences, if, you know, they they are still every bit incentivized to try and make the playoffs. Those are franchises where playoff appearance, you know, is important. would would matter to their what they're trying to achieve. It matters to the to the young guys on on the teams, and that that that's your that's a really crucial gray area. And having those those franchises, you know, it, sort of built in by way of a playoff mechanism, incentivized to play their ass off for the last 25 games of the season. I'm, I, I absolutely uh, love everything about it. So right now it would be Portland 7 versus uh, Utah 10, Pelicans 8 versus Clippers 9, um, Philly 7 versus Charlotte 10. That's really the only bad one. And then Miami 8 versus Detroit 9. But a team like like for every franchise that you just mentioned, except for the Clippers, yeah, it, it really matters to to get into the playoffs. Yeah, and and you could also you could rig it so that the lottery is ten teams, and maybe maybe the catch for that to prevent tanking is every it's ten teams and everybody gets the same chance for the first three picks. I I couldn't agree with that more. I totally support that. I'm done with waiting 
the the you know increasing the odds for the teams with the worst records. I'm so over that in basketball. Well, here's the other thing: unless you get like one of the top, I don't know, one the first pick seems to matter, although it didn't matter last year. Really, there's it's there's no rhyme or reason to who ends up being the best guys, right? Like last year, Tatum three, Donovan Mitchell thirteen. Who else do we like? Uh, Dennis Smith's pretty good. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> wow, I think he is. Is he? <laughs> He's on the right, you know. Is he? <laughs> I think I think you could get twenty on him right now. I I don't think that. I can't get twenty. I think All I can get is twenty bites. I, I have to go to. to to domo and get 20 bites i could do that yeah well i think that i think the plan here's the thing make make april a little more fun figure it out april's not fun anymore that first round sucks it's all best of sevens and you know who's gonna win and sweeps and and even though the ones that end up going seven games aren't that fun and it's just it sucks it's not good i still like the the versions where where um the one seeds get buys I'm still, I, I support a bye vibe. What about... That's um, the way to make the regular season matter for the top team. How about this? What if it's best of five first round? I mentioned this on Monday, so, so sorry I'm double dipping. Best of five first round, but the top two seeds in each conference, it's they have four games at home. Or the prize. top seed in I, each conference or whatever. There's prize. some sort of prize sure. for getting the one seed. Yeah, there should be a prize for getting the one seed. I mean, it, it's interesting in the East. Still, you know, it would be really cool to see Cleveland and Boston and Toronto duke it out. And the Wizards! I'm trying to think of what scenario would cause me to miss any of the four playing games between 7-10 and 8-9 seats. What do you Uh, mean miss? Like you wouldn't watch? No, I'm just like, I guess if I got kidnapped, I would miss it. Um, If I was struck by a car, I would miss it. Um... If I was in a medical coma, I would miss it. Those are the only three scenarios. Otherwise, I'm watching all four of those games <laughs> and enjoying exactly. the living fuck out of them and gambling on them and the whole thing. Right. That would be awesome. Not doing what we do with one versus eight now, which is check in. I, I might watch, you know, uh, six minutes of the third quarter and what's the score in the middle of the fourth quarter? Okay, I, I, I'm not watching. Oh, great. Golden State's beating New Orleans 120 exactly. to 80. Awesome. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. Before we go, give us a quick uh, House of Carbs plug. We have coming up on this week, Thug Kitchen, former husband and wife who serve up healthy food with a little bit of attitude. And don't forget about this week's Check out Two guys that I gave out uh, on Wednesday in first and second place right now. I'm sure I just queered their chances, but myself and Jeff Shackelford will try to give out one or two winners for next week's tournament in Mexico. And we're also going to hopefully be talking about, I'm knocking on wood, can you hear me knocking? Another fantastic Tiger performance. What if Tiger is rounding into form? He looked great yesterday. He tees off at 12.30 today, so I don't have any information about his round today. But knocking on wood, hopefully we're talking a little Tigre. You and I and my dad are going to Augusta. It's going to be phenomenal. I've never been. It's my dad's last sports bucket list thing. 
Tell him to bring walking shoes. It's it's not an easy walk. Oh, that's not good for him. We'll carry him. We'll carry him. The doc's light now. Yeah, should I bring him? Should yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna have to get him to get in shape. Do more walking. Time. Tell him to start now. Walking up and down Beacon Hill. What kind that's of? That's how you get prepared. What's what's the number one food thing I should be excited about? All of it. All of it. The beauty. <laughs> you you won't believe it. It's an array of of sandwiches. All of which are like five bucks, and the beers are five bucks or six bucks. So you have to order every sandwich so we can have bites of all of them. Um, they each have their charm. A lot of people like the pimento cheese. Don't mm. ever sleep on egg salad. The barbecue is surprising. You don't expect, you know, a nice pulled pork, but it's there. It's lovely. There's a whole thing. We're gonna we're gonna have them all. Don't you worry. Um, House and I will accept free food and free gifts from everyone there. So feel free, feel free to bowl us over with uh, with kindness and bribery. We're ready. Yeah. Whatever you need, whatever you want to give Not us. Not in that order. Whatever you want to give bribery us. Bribery first. Yeah, it'll be great. All right, House. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Good, good time. All right. Let's talk about Belvedere, produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries. Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka, crafted by a collective of master distillers, Belvedere made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, no additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere, named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 16, and 17. What a run. That reminds me of LeBron's three finals runs in a row when he went back to Cleveland. An unparalleled level of quality that we wrote about this week on TheRinger.com with LeBron Jordan Week. Yeah, go check that out. I keep telling you, it's good stuff. But you know what? When somebody has a great run, you got to appreciate it. Belvedere, the utmost quality, the best brand over and over again. No different than LeBron James, year 15, still cranking along. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today. And remember, always drink responsibly. Since we're here, I want to talk about the revamped Ringer NBA show. I think I'm hosting it on Monday. Jason Concepcion's away. Uh, Kevin O'Connor's away. More importantly, the host of the show, John Gonzalez, is away. We need bodies. People need to step up. It's next man up. It's like Belichick style. So we might, we're either going to run the BS podcast today, that uh, Monday as well, or I'm just going to do Ringer NBA show on Monday and we'll move Monday's BS pod to Tuesday. Stay tuned. Try to keep up. Back to the pod. All right. On the line right now, our Winter Olympics correspondent, Jacko, my buddy, <laughs> for 30 years. We just had another buddy from 30 years, Joe House, on to talk about MJ versus LeBron. And now, excellent. Now the Winter Olympics. Um, first of all, is it true that you changed your hair and now you have Johnny Weir's hairstyle? Is that did that happen, or did I, did I get bad information? No, that's absolutely true, and I also coordinate my outfits with his every day. Oh, so that's I'm wearing good. something very similar to what he wore last night. I'm glad he's had such a dramatic effect on you. My highlight. <laughs> my oh, my wife and I were actually talking about that last night. Like, like, what do you think it like he looks like when he wakes up in the morning? Because it must require hours and a team of people to make his hair look that way. It, it, like, it, there's it, no way he could just get up and like. He could not, he could not just get up and like comb his hair or blow dry his hair like that. I mean, he he's got like a team of professionals and he must get in there like got to be a good 4 or 5 hours before airtime, don't you think? I would love to be in his in his uh bedroom closet the day before he's going to the Olympics as he tries to figure out which jackets he's bringing. 
Well, amazingly, I'm ashamed of myself for knowing this, but I have seen stories about he and and his partner in crime, Tara Lipinski, and the amount of clothing that they brought with them. He he has said basically he brings every single thing he owns. Yeah. And they have like dozens of trunks filled with clothing so they can be prepared to coordinate outfits and be prepared for any, you know, occurrence, I guess, in terms of what he wants to wear that day. So, yeah, he's he's got everything he owns, basically, with him in Pyeongchang. So my highlight of the Olympics was the women's hockey game two nights ago, USA mm-hmm. versus Canada. They've, they've had our number. We haven't won in 20 years. Right. They had a player that I... I've grown to dislike over the course of the nice decade. That. Poulin, Poulin, however you pronounce her little French name. She's a little cheap shot artist. And, uh, and she decked one of our players in front of the net in the second period. They didn't call it. It should have been a five minute major. She's wow. also scored in the game down to one had all the makings and the U S just turned it on in the third period. Get right. the goal with six minutes left goes into OT completely dominate the OT, but can't score. And then it goes to a shootout, which mm, is such a, ter- it's such a terrible way to decide the gold medal. But then as it's actually happening, it's super exciting. Right. And one of the twins pulled off one of the great goals I've ever seen in my life to basically win. Sure. It. And it was awesome. The shoulder deke. All the Canadians were crying, including Poulin. Yeah. And, and it was, <laughs> it was the best. We were taunting her in our ringer slack. I, I've never felt more patriotic. It was awesome. How about the, uh, how about the woman that they gave the silver medal to and she couldn't get it off of her neck quickly enough and yeah. just, just absolute disgust and, and just sadness about the loss. So it was it's fantastic. Great. Yeah, I bathed in her tears. USA! <laughs> I'm a little worried about our neighbor to the north, though, because not only did they lose in hockey, but then I think, I don't know, at the same time or several hours later, the, the U.S. men's curling team beat them and beat Canada in curling. Yeah. So to lose hockey and curling in the same day. I yeah, mean, have some of that. Canada is just talk about your rough days. My God, it's incredible. And their prime minister is off in India. He should have like flown back home for emergency cabinet meetings or something. It's outrageous. It uh, that should roll in Canada. It it was it's so great when we beat them in hockey and they have to listen to our national anthem when it's their <laughs> it's their national it. sport. Ninety nine percent of the athletes that Canada produces is hockey. It's like hey. Go look at our red, white, and blue flag. It's going up right now. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Their men lost. Their men lost today. So now it's really reached. I mean, I don't know what's you know beyond DefCon One. We're like at it's it's incredible up there for poor Canada. The last night was the figure skating, yes. which came down to the two Russians and right a rivalry that has been described as friendly. I don't believe it. I think they hate each no. other's guts. No, absolutely. And, uh, the aforementioned Tara Lipinski, actually, in the lead-in to the skating, they kind of did this, not kind of, they did a montage of basically skating rivalries going back to her and Michelle Kwan and hmm. the amount of side-eye just in this 30-second montage of women's figure skating competitors over the years is is really pretty incredible. Aside, before you even get to the Tanya and Nancy thing, which was a whole different level of rivalry where goons were brought in, and everybody knows that story ad nauseum. But yeah, that's it, probably you know, my yeah, number one most heated rivalry. <laughs> one of them yeah, named the other. So. Yeah, that's going to be the top of the list, no question about yeah. it. But there's no way those two girls like each other. They they had some fake press conference or press conference where they, you know, claimed oh we're wonderful friends, but there's no way they can possibly like each other. No way. 
I made a lot of inappropriate jokes with my wife as I watched last night about the loser being relegated to like a a taken scenario where they just get sent <laughs> off to some gulag, <laughs> never right. to be seen again. But right. it really, you do really feel that tension. Like whoever loses might just disappear because it's Russia. Sure. Who yeah. the hell knows? Sure. Um, she goes to work at Tractor Factory number 47 or something. Yeah, that's it. Going on to a glorious skating uh, go away. coaching career. You've disappointed our country. Now you have to leave. The, uh, the, um, the 15 year old, it was very yeah, polarizing. The, the, the Ringers Olympic slack, very polarizing between the two camps. And right. I was in the, I, I thought the 15 year old was better. And, uh, and other people were adamant that it was the other one, and it, it got very heated. And none of us know anything about figure skating, which really made it special. But well, I, figure skating to the casual fan is absolutely impossible to watch. Like you can to, to understand, I should say, you yeah. can watch it, and you say like, "Well, she fell down. Like that's going to hurt her. That's going to be a red box up at the top left corner there." But right. it's blatantly obvious. But I wouldn't know like an axle from a toe loop from a triple jump. I can never tell if it's a triple or quadruple or whatever it is. Yeah. And then if you watch the pregame, now I have a six-year-old who's way into the figure skating. She loves it and has to like, she can't just watch it. She has to watch it while like jumping and doing spins off of the coffee table and demanding that I be her partner and like lift her up and do things. And we have to have scores from the judges. And so we, I sometimes get sucked into the pregame and they have, they have Scott Hamilton on who is the, Number one spokesman for figure skating in the history of mankind. I mean, he is he is to figure skating as Dick Vitale is to college basketball. Like, right. Those are the two biggest proponents of their chosen sports of anyone of that ever liked anything. Maybe even outside of sports. Yeah. No one has ever liked anything and been into it as much as Scott Hamilton is into figure skating. And when he and the other woman, this other woman, Tanith White, do the pregame. And they get a, they get in the weeds on this stuff, and they're like, "Well, that's a deduction because she came down on the outside edge instead of the inside edge." And I'm like, "So the, the, the casual person who watches this at once every four years, how could you possibly follow this along at home and know like who's who's going to win this thing?" You can't. It's an impossibility. And, and then there's math, which makes it harder. It's like, ah, oh, the Russian, she's got to get to <laughs> two sixty, so that means she's got to be seventy six point. I'm like, what, what's going on? And then you know, last night he's talking about. <clears throat> he said, "When if you mess up on the ice, <clears throat> that you should never like beat yourself up on the ice because that gives the judges permission to say, well, she didn't think it was good, so now I can knock off two points.' Chapter one million: Why you should never get involved in a sport that involves judging. Yeah, like just get involved in a sport where it's a, where you have to hit home runs or score runs or knock down baskets, and it's all based on points. Because if you leave it to judges." It's always a disaster, and it always ends up in controversy. So there's the, like figure skating. Well, she didn't smile, so that's a deduction. It's just, it's just ridiculous. What about the part where if you stack your jumps to the second half of the routine, yeah, it's, it's worth ten percent more or something. It's right? better because it's harder because you're more tired, and they're like, oh boy, he's tired, and he landed that jump or whatever. Right? They they give you more credit for that. Meanwhile, it's a 15 year old figure skater who weighs like 68 pounds. So I'm pretty sure she's <laughs> right. not getting tired during her nine minute routine. <laughs> Right. And all of it's, I mean, it's, everybody talks about like the pressure and everything. And some of these kids, I think they're too young to understand like the gravity of the Olympics or the pressure, but, and they do this, you know, they've done this every day of their life, basically there where they go out and do this routine. It's, it's completely second nature. And then they go out and it's, you know, they, they gag. The Americans were horrible. Couldn't stand up on skates. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, I think if we didn't have, I mean, I guess there is, 
inherent pressure in it. And no, no, don't walk it you. back. Don't walk it back, Jacko. Don't I'm walk stick it back. With it. You do this every day of your life. You, you, you should be better at it. Stop falling. Not just that, but if we can't get in the top eight with anybody. Yeah. And how valuable rink time is. And there's never rinks and everybody's got to share these rinks. There should just be a rule. If we can't get in the top eight, that's it. The rinks go to hockey. We're just done with figure skating. We're out. Unless you live on a lake that freezes, you don't get to figure skate. Sorry. And the one out. who was the national champion for America, Brady Tunnell, who they kept saying, like, just burst on the on the world scene, you know, in the past three months, nobody had ever heard of her. And they did a background story on her, and she basically grew up at some ice rink outside of Chicago or in Chicago. I think it's outside of Chicago. And they had all these, you know, posters of her through the years. So the kid's been going to this rink forever. So, like, just go out and do the same routine that you do in the rink in Chicago at five in the morning. Well, that's easy to say for us. We're, we're, on, our <laughs> ca- we're on our couch. Although, what's his name? Johnny Weir said that her uh, her routine was a little was a little provincial, as he put it. As your, I don't even know what that really, means. Like, elegant enough. No, I know it was a little provincial. Her routine. Did you so. see I Tanya? <laughs> I have not seen it yet. No, I would like to, but I have not seen it. Boy, does it take some liberties. <laughs> so I'm told. I I've read a lot about it, and I re- I read like the yeah what the real story was. Absolutely. I was kind of shocked that they brought her the Golden Globes, and I really hope they don't bring her the Oscars. Because here's a hot take: she's a bad person. She yeah, she maimed Nancy Kerrigan. It's like she pretends now that she didn't know about it, but by all accounts, she definitely knew what was going on, and she definitely got punished for it. And the movie, ta- it's one of those classic like taking facts with stuff and spinning things a certain way, and then people right. who see that movie are going to think that's what happened. And in this case, well, it's kind of egregious. Ex- she has a hard time explaining how it was that the FBI found a crumpled up note that had Nancy Kerrigan's practice schedule and location on her rink in Cape Cod. And it was written in Tanya Harding's uh, <laughs> handwriting. Other than that. She's like, well, I'm not here. She does the Mark McGuire on that. I'm not here to talk about the past. <laughs> <laughs> but, but hey, what, what row of the Golden Globes am I going to be in? I mean, are you kidding me? I'd be so mad if I was Nancy Kerrigan. Oh, I Seriously, I would be like out of my mind. I'd be like, you kidding me? You're make, making this movie and you're glorifying her? You're bringing her to the award shows? Get the fuck out of here. Right. And, you know, everybody, it's kind of comical because the cast of goons that Tanya Harding either hired or associated herself with were so inept yeah, they did such a lousy job at it. I mean, they still did injure her, but they didn't injure her to the degree that they sought to. Yeah. So we can all kind of laugh about it. But if they had done like a, you know, when Monica Sellis got stabbed by the lunatic right. in the in the tennis tournament, like we, we wouldn't be laughing and saying, oh, aha, what a funny movie. If they like broke her leg or, you know, or, or severely damaged her leg beyond what they did or, or, or God forbid, injured her even worse. I mean, you know, so that's, if, not that's their, actually... if not for the being so stupid, it wouldn't even be... A, a funny thing and the slightest bit that's actually the next movie by the same directing writing team they're making a movie about Gunther Parch the person who <laughs> stabbed Monica Sellis it's a hilarious right. comedy drama about a tennis stabbing about <laughs> what a victim he was I'm yeah. out on Itania I enjoyed it when I watched it but then I read the stuff after and and, the, and now I'm out I'm I'm not a supporter I don't I wish it wasn't in the award show what uh there's been a backlash no doubt what uh? What was your favorite random Olympic sport this year that you didn't expect you'd like so much? Usually it's curling, but now that's can't be the answer because you officially yeah, like everybody's curling. Everybody's in on curling. Yeah, everybody's especially in on you. Curling. You love um, curling. <laughs> well, you know what I you know what actually actually like touched me, and I think it's because I'm always like a sucker 
if you have a sporting event and there's like a great call that goes with it, like Russ Hodges, the, the Giants yeah. win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant. Like cross-country skiing is a sport that you, you watch during the, every four years in the Olympics. And you're like, my God, that just looks impossible. And like There's like frozen snot coming down their face and they get to the finish line and they just collapse. But otherwise, I have I tried to cross-country ski about two years ago and it was not surprisingly an embarrassing failure. Yeah. So I have more respect for them because of that, but I, I can't say I'm a big follower of the cross-country skiing. But when the U.S. women finally broke through and this woman, I think, has been a multiple Olympian and she... She did the anchor leg. I think it was a relay thing we won. And and the guy's call, like down the, you know, she came from back in the pack, you know, she was in third place or whatever, and made a late breaking dash to the finish line and won the gold and the excitement of the announcer. That kind of, I got wrapped up in that. I'll be honest, I watched it a couple times and I got a little misty. Like, you got a little misty? Good. Like, you know, I did get from a little cross misty. cross country? Yeah. What's happening to yeah. you? <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting weak in my old age. Um, but the guy's call, I mean, the guy was so fired up, like this guy's life. He, he's the Scott Hamilton of cross country skiing. <laughs> he's way into it, you know? And this woman is probably from like the wilds of Minnesota. So gets up every day at 5 a.m., works out for eight hours a day cross-country skiing for, like, no money and no glory. And this is, like, her big moment. She gets a gold medal after years of trying, you know? Not to get all, not to get all misty again, but that was a cool moment. Plus, she was an American, so USA. I feel like I should be playing Shawshank music right now as you do your <laughs> monologue about, about this whole thing. So I thought that was a cool, that was like a cool moment. Am I going to go out and cross country ski tomorrow? No, I'm not. But it was a, it was a good moment and good what, job for her, this cross country skier. What was the dumbest and most ridiculous sport that was in the Winter Olympics that probably shouldn't have been? <laughs> um, well, you know, we, they have like, uh, they have all these snowboarding things, right? So they have like the snowboard big slope yeah. and they have the snowboard half pipe and then they have the same thing on skis. I think the skiing half pipe thing is probably the dumbest thing I've seen. I think the half pipe should be left to snowboarding. I don't think we should be doing like the half pipe, whatever that's called on, on skis. I think that's stupid. Well, how was the ski jump? I missed it this year. I don't know what day it was on, but it's usually one of my favorites. That was good. Ski jump was solid. That's always good. Nobody wipes out anymore. The equipment's too good. No, nobody does wipe out like in the old days. There or there, I don't know if they have more practice time or there's more ski, more ski jumping slopes now than there used to be. But yeah, nobody horrifically crashes. They all land pretty easily. Do you think That's they should? That's another one where there's judging. Do you think they should have one of the three runs? Somebody's firing a t-shirt cannon at them, so they're, they <laughs> they have to deal with some adversity. <laughs> That's, That's a going. good one. Yeah, that'd be I'm fun. always fascinated by the biathlon, which apparently arose the shooting. out of like you've loved the biathlon yeah. for thirty years. Yeah, because, it, it, you know, that came out of the military, I guess, in Europe, where there yeah. were cases, you know, Russia invaded, and you had to fight them on skis, so you could ski to the battle and then have good marksmanship ability. So that's kind of a fascinating sport when you think about it, because, you know, your adrenaline's going a mile a minute, and then you have to, like, stop and take calm five down. shots at five targets, calm down, calm down your heart rate and your breathing, and, it's pretty, and then they do it standing, and then they do it laying down shooting, so... The big, and they put the gun on and ski. It's crazy. The big tragedy is that curling isn't easier just to do with your buddies. Yeah. I feel like we would have done that in college for maybe 10 hours a week. There's no question if Worcester had like a curling 
a shack, or a curling or bar. Like we could have gone and club. had curling, and they and they had drinks. We would have been there all the time. Curling looks awesome. I totally would have been into that. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm dying to US, go curling. The, you, that's another one where U.S. is going to be in the gold medal for the first time. So, even though U.S. has really sucked in the Olympics, very disappointing performance all around. But uh, good for us to get a curling medal. Don't you USA, think USA? Don't you think with my surreal ability to be bad at to be great at stupid sports that curling really should have been my destiny? It's, it was made for you. You were made to curl. You don't have to run. I'm telling you, 2022, you got four years to work on it. Is there a seniors curling thing like an over 50? <laughs> that could be my the over 50 in four years. It's got to be. I think you could still curl probably at age 50. I think you could be an inspiration. I could do it, and then I could write an editorial for the Spire at Holy Cross about <laughs> How great Your it was! Experience as a curling, as a curler. It's my editorial for the Spire. They changed our newspaper <laughs> to the Spire. What the hell is the Spire? They, it's like the top know. of a tower. Yeah, the spires of Fenwick, of the the, the uh, administrative building on campus. Yes, the Spire. And then the board you of trustees. To write for the Spire. The Spire. Whoa! All those great times on the Spire. And then uh, <laughs> the board of trustees announced they're keeping the name, and then people. Yeah. Did a whole protest letter about it because they want to get right, rid of the they're name. Not gonna, even though they had like focus groups and a year of study, and everybody was able to voice their opinion and you know put in their two cents, and then the side that lost decides, nope, we didn't, we didn't like that. We're still going to fight it. It's a great way to okay. use your time. Meanwhile, you watch Absolutely. the watch the uh, Florida kids and what they're doing this week. It's like maybe that's maybe that would be a better use of your time. Some more college kids. You could, yeah, you there's could be into, right? there's some bigger fish out there that maybe you want to <laughs> step into over the the the, the, the not <laughs> really polarizing at all name of our college. All right, right. so what, what's your final grade of the Winter Olympics, Jacko? Um, I'll give it a solid B. I thought I thought South Korea did a did a good job and. It's entertained me when there's not much else on TV in the middle of the winter for the past two weeks. So, okay. I, I like it. It was, it was good. You know Were what? You, the, you know what? My over. You know what? My biggest takeaway is is that obviously NBC. I made a joke on Twitter last week about Bo, about Bodie Miller, the former skier and uh, now skiing commentator. And I said, does he get paid? Is his salary based on how many times he says the word athlete? Yeah. But I've noticed that in every single sport that I've watched, and I've watched pretty much all of them. The word athlete is used by the commentators to an amazing amount. Like, you would never hear that in baseball. Like, oh, this is a big pitch by this athlete, you know? Yeah. It would never be said. And I think that the edict came down from the production team at NBC that we have to use the word athlete. So they don't say, like, this skier or this loser or this biathloner, this biathlete. They, everything is athlete. So they're like, this, this is a big run for this athlete. And these athletes. That's so weird. Like, so you think there's a staff a memo? Thing. Had to be because I've heard it more. I've heard the word athlete more in the past two weeks than I've heard it in my life. Very strange. Um, I guess the biggest surprise for me with the Olympics, other than the fact that we couldn't crack the top eight in women's figure skating, which I just can't get over, is mm. uh, is Trump kind of laid off. I know. Very surprised. I was I'm expecting like just. I was expecting him to attack our athletes when they didn't win and me be too. like, "We didn't make the top eight in figure skating. Sad." And like do exactly. these random these random t- uh, Trump tweet barrage on a Saturday morning where he's just attacking Scott Hamilton and Dick Button and I'm, and a, I'm actually happen. very surprised by that too. Yeah, 
I thought the same thing. I thought he would take full credit, like for the women's gold medal in hockey. Like right. we made America great again, first time in twenty so years. Brown, look at what we've done now that I'm president. Now that we, we've be, finally beat Canada, there's more where that's coming. Exactly, exactly. You suck, Watch your back, Trudeau. <laughs> right. Yeah, he didn't really. He didn't really uh, seize the reins. I get the feeling he wasn't watching a lot of the Olympics. Uh, it wasn't on Fox News. It wasn't on Fox and Fred, so he didn't. They probably didn't cover it as, as much, so he didn't pay any attention. Because that's he, the thing that's funny about the Olympics and like and coverage is that I was, as I said before, I was watching the downhill skiing, and they were talking about some guy from Austria, and they said, "Oh, he's he's had a disappointing Olympics, and hopefully he can answer the Austrian press with this one." They hound him all the time, <laughs> and brutal. it's like like they like like in Austria, you know, yeah. you don't have you don't have four major sports, like presumably like soccer. But skiing, like, these guys are humongous celebrities. So the guy gets, like, hounded by the press about, like, you know, why were you at that nightclub in Vienna? Why weren't you training? And, like, it's like Jeter in the 90s with Steinbrenner, but he's some Austrian skier that wouldn't get recognized in any other country, but he's got, like, five tabloids following him in Austria. It's the, the sports columnist for the Austrian newspaper is also, like, the food columnist and writes some politics, too. It's- there can't be more than like six people who are in the media in Austria. But they're hounding like they're skiers. They were, who were, you know, followed by the paparazzi, like Gunther Wiesenhall or whatever. Like, oh my God, how dare you come in fourth? <laughs> I like the Gunther Wiesenhall podcast is really good. I've been listening to that a lot <laughs> through the Olympics. They're really hard on that guy. Austria. Well, the same thing with like, they had that with losers too. And they had this, this German female, I think she was a loser. Yeah, a loser. It was a loser skeleton. I think it was yeah. luge. And they have all these cr- fans are holding up these massive posters of her that like, like modeling shoots and like advertising that she does in Germany. And it's like, you know, Greta, whatever, drinks this kind of milk. You should drink this milk too. So mm. it's like, she's like the LeBron of Germany as a loser. Luge is the most sexual sounding word. That's just a random Olympic sport. <laughs> and two man or two person luge continues to mystify two me. Two man like, luge, like the the, the team two dudes luge. on top of each other. I'm like, I don't know how. Like luge is dangerous enough. I don't understand why someone was like, you don't be good with this. Let's put another one on top. Let's. How about if I hop on top of you, Jim, and let's luge? Like, who came up with that? It doesn't make any sense. It's a one person sled. Let's both ride on it. All right. <laughs> it's like trod the short straw. Yeah, the uh that's like one of those I'm not sure who has it worse, frankly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I get maybe they switch. <laughs> it's definitely luge could definitely be a porn category search that people would click on and it'd just be guys on luges. <laughs> be careful if you Google luge at work. You know, luge. Be that great. great luge last night. <laughs> <laughs> Such a weird one. Uh, uh, two man luge. But, uh, well, I think for the 2022, I'm going to propose that go three man luge. <laughs> <laughs> three <laughs> man luge. Would be hey, great. throw Sven on top. Let's, let's really get this thing going. <laughs> Do you miss? Uh, did you miss Dick Button? A little bit. Yes, I did. I didn't. I wasn't sure. In the lab, I wasn't sure if Dick Button was still with us. He's on Twitter. But He's like eighty-eight year old guy on Twitter. Like, like I know. admonishing I, I people. That. Yeah, because because our great American hope Nathan Chen, who also fell about fifteen times <laughs> before his long program, they, I read on Twitter. Or Scott Hamilton reported to me that Dick Button had sent him some encouraging words mm. about you know picking he took, himself he up. He took Dick Button's the, job. 
Right. Scott Hamilton, they just pushed Dick Button right off the stage. But he's been a, but Scott Hamilton, they only let him do like the pregame now and the postgame, and, and it's all Johnny Weir and Tara Lipinski now. So Didn't that's what America we, wants. We had a Dick Button story from college, and I can't remember. Something that happened during a telecast. We probably even can't tell it. No, we had a Scott Hamilton story because oh, that's when, we were, when we had they had the Olympics, and after the Olympics were over, they would have like an exhibition. Maybe they still do, where all the skaters would go out and there was no pressure, and they would all just do different routines or whatever. And I think it what was the guy's name, Victor Plashenko or something yeah, yeah, from Russia, who was the, and he did some like you know quintuple jump or something and it wasn't even for competition just for show and scott hamilton was like victor put that thing away like put that jump away like don't pull that out we're like whoa easy scott but that that's right put that thing away became a joke for us (laughs) victor Victor, put that thing away victor seriously put that thing away no not here victor (laughs) oh man uh, so nice to have the Winter Olympics back. I wish it was every three years, though. I know nobody wants to host it, but every three years would be great. Well, that's the other funny thing. They they were talking about why are the next three Olympics in Asia? Yeah, and they were like, well, in 2022 for the Winter Olympics, that one of the countries that bid on there was only two bidders: Kazakhstan and China. Is it Kazakhstan like, where Borat was? I think so. And they literally bid <laughs> no. on the Olympics. And they were like, Kazakhstan has an economy like the size of Trenton, New Jersey. They're like, yeah. we, they can't host the Olympics in Kazakhstan. So they were like, China, help us out here. And they were like, sure, why not? You know. So, And then there's nobody apparently has bid on the 2026 Olympics. Just put it in Aspen. Well, I don't think you can have the Winter Olympics in Athens, I don't think. No, Aspen. Aspen. Oh, Aspen, yeah. Or Salt Athens. Lake, like they have all the stuff from 2002. Yeah, Athens would be a problem. Yeah, I, I think that Athens. Work. I was like, I think they're going to have problems with the snow there. All right, next time we talk, we'll be talking about spring training baseball. So until then, Jacko, <laughs> this was fun. Good times. All right, talk to you soon. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much to ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to TheRinger.com. Don't forget about Jordan Jordan LeBron week, and don't forget about my column that I posted today about 98 MJ versus uh, 2018 LeBron. Don't forget about the Recapables, our newest podcast. Especially if you love Atlanta, you gotta get you gotta get this one. Um, we are launching it today. Subscribe today. Subscribe however you get your podcasts, and uh, and it starts on Thursday. Enjoy the weekend. Next week, we have a lot of good stuff, including some great Ringer videos that we we filmed for um, for the Oscars. Our old friend Wesley Morris was in town. My old Grantland teammate, Cam Collins, was here. Sean Fennessy, Chris Ryan, Amanda Dobbins. We filmed a slew of Ringer videos and uh, very excited about those. Also excited, Jason Concepcion and Jason Gallagher, our uh, NBA desktop team, were in Boston for the Sloan Conference and are trying to get a uh, a special on-location NBA desktop from there. So check that out. Good times all around. Thanks for the support. Enjoy the weekend. It's freezing here in LA. People are panicking. It dropped to like 53 degrees today. I don't know. We might have rioting. People are wearing winter jackets that they haven't worn in 10 years. It's hilarious. And uh, last but not least, National Cup starts this week in Southern California. Good luck to Tatel FC. I think we could do it. I think we can get out of the first couple weekends. Don't bet against Tadella. Enjoy the weekend. <laughs> <laughs>